You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. God is near to you and is anxious to be your companion. Let me give you a cross-reference. In the 146th Psalm, in verse 9, the Bible tells us, and praise God, and you've heard me say this a hundred times before, God is the champion of the underdog and the outcast and the downtrodden and, uh, you know, the throwaways, the least esteemed. God seems to be more concerned about those individuals than he is about kings. You don't have to be a genius to know that it takes good communication in marriage. What about working through a miscommunication with your best friend? It's not just a walk in the park. It takes work. Are you willing to step into real relationship with people, knowing that it might be hard and even painful at times? But what Pastor Mike is getting at today is that the only way to have true relationship with people is to be real with them and to work through the things that are a problem. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Matthew chapter 25 as he continues his message, Abraham, friend of God. about the way that we serve God. How do we serve God? I mean, there are so many different ways that we serve God, but in a very practical kind of a way. Because take this into consideration. We, as believers today, don't serve a Lord who is upon the earth in a visible body, do we? No. But according to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 25, when Jesus comes back the second time, to establish his kingdom upon the earth. And the nations come before him for judgment. And in that day, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 25, in verses 35 through 40, uh, Jesus now is commending those and he's giving out the rewards for those who have been faithful. And he says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me, I was sick, you visited me, I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? I mean, back then, those who we were speaking to, they may have been saying, oh yeah, last Thursday, I bought you lunch. But none of us would be able to make that same claim. So what's the point? Well, as we serve others, we are serving God. Now, remember, we're talking about developing this relationship with God. 
becoming a friend with God, him acknowledging us as such. How does that happen? As we serve one another, we're actually serving God, even as Abraham served these visitors. Now, getting back to this meeting, I want you to notice there was God's side as well uh, to this relationship. And uh, this brings us actually to sort of our, our next point, and that is companionship. Notice, God entered into Abraham's tent, and then he provided this wonderful companion. And that's exactly what God wants to do for us. He wants to enter into your tabernacle, your homes, your dwelling places, and he wants to provide for you the same companionship that he showed Abraham and all of the other saints of times gone by. Companionship. Notice here in our text, he's sitting with Abraham. He's walking with Abraham. He's eating with Abraham. We've already established the fact that he's hanging out with Abraham. He is his companion and close friend. That's the kind of intimacy that God wants you to experience with him. Now, maybe right now, you're in need of this type of companionship. Maybe you feel as if you've been abandoned by everyone else. You're all alone right? Well, know this. God is near to you and is anxious to be your companion. Let me give you a cross-reference. In the 146th Psalm, in verse 9, the Bible tells us, and praise God, and you've heard me say this a hundred times before, God is the champion of the underdog and the outcast and the downtrodden and, uh, you know, the throwaways, the least esteemed. God seems to be more concerned about those individuals than he is about kings and presidents and people in high places and positions. In the 146th Psalm in verse 9, it says, The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widows, those who cannot fend for themselves. Listen, gang, you're never abandoned. You're never abandoned. You know, if you've developed that relationship with God, if you know in your heart that you are truly a friend. And so anyway, he shows us this companionship. But then there's more. There's also communication. And think about that. How important is communication to any kind of a relationship? One of the major problems in marital counseling is a lack of communication. And it's usually the man who's at fault. And we always hear the woman expressing this, you know, in, in marital counseling. Pastor Mike, he never, he's so, you know, shut-lipped, uh, closed down, never lets me in, never really tells me what's going on, how he's feeling. And I, just, I feel like I'm married to a I don't even know this guy. I thought I knew him when I married him, but I don't really know him at all. And communication seems to be one of the major problems in marriage relationships. And so it's integral to forming any kind of a relationship. So notice, between Abraham and Jesus here, there's communications. Because friends talk to each other. You know, think about your best friend, okay? Whether it's your husband or your wife or not. You, how much time do you spend with them on the phone? Uh, texting, whatever. It's all, yep, 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 yep. You know, you're just all the time sharing. It's a good thing. It's, if you have that special person in your life, you know, that's a good thing. It's not a it's not a bad thing. So friends talk to each other. They share their thoughts. Now, 
go jump ahead here in uh, chapter 18 to verse 17, and we'll get to this next time. I've already sort of uh, referred to it already. But this has to do with God now uh, preparing to judge Sodom and Gomorrah uh, for their debauchery, for their uh, sinful practices. The stench and sin had come up before God, and God was going to put an end to it. He was going to wipe them out. And in verse 17, God thought it good because Abraham was God's friend, and whatever you're going to do, if you make plans, you make choices in life, that's going to affect you. You know, you, uh, you want to take one of your close friends into confidence and let them know what's going on. Maybe you want to bounce something off of them. You see how they might respond. Maybe they can offer you some good counsel or some good advice. Well, that's exactly what's going on here because notice in verse 17. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? or what he was about to do, and that is destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So that's what friends do, right? They draw each other in uh, to their life's experience. They're seeking counsel from one another. There's communication. So this, again, is a reference to the wickedness of Sodom and God destroying it. Now, later on, after receiving that information, Abraham pleads for his nephew Lot and his deliverance and successfully entreats the Lord. But we'll get to that in one of our future studies. Man, there's some great lessons to be learned in that chapter. But Abraham, this is the point, Abraham was allowed to enjoy God's company. He was enabled to share God's secrets. Now think about that, right? How cool would that be? You know, that we're one of God's confidants, and God is moving, God is doing something, and he brings you into that inner circle, and you become a confidant of God. Hey, listen, what God did for Abraham, he's no respecter of person, he'll do exactly for you. How cool it is to have the kind of the inside, you know, what's the word? Inside scoop? Yeah, scoop, that's not the word, but that's a good word. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know? You're a confidant. To God. How cool would that be? And so Abraham was allowed to enjoy God's company, share God's secrets, and to secure God's hearing and answer to his urgent intercession on behalf of his nephew a lot later on. So in active function in present experience, Abraham was a true friend of God. And that's what a friend of God looks like. But then also, this is another component of this. There was compassion. Remember, it's a two-way street now we're talking about. And God showed compassion at this particular time to Abraham. Listen, the Lord always speaks to us at the point of our need and shows mercy to us when we are hurting. Answer this question for me. What was the one thing that was constantly on the mind of Abraham? What was it that weighed so heavily upon him? Someone, anybody, his son, right? The heir that had already been promised to him years before by God. The heir, the son. What was it that he longed to hear from God? Well, that's exactly what God said. Because notice in verse 10, let's go back to our text. In verse 10, which is not a part of our text, but jump ahead to verse 10. And he said, 
I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. You see that there? So if you have a special need, and I suspect that some of you might have some special need. I know I have a special need right now. So if you have a special need, you can be sure that God will speak to that need, and he will show you compassion. Because compassion is just a part of that integral relationship that we have with him. Now, uh, before we go on here, we're talking about friendship. We're talking about developing that kind of friendship, that kind of relationship with God. Uh, I think we would have to go over to John's Gospel in chapter 15. Uh, why don't you guys just go ahead and, and turn with me in your Bibles. In John's Gospel in chapter 15. Because, and this is the reason why I'm, I'm appealing to this particular chapter. You can't think of friendship between man and God without thinking of the upper room. Where Jesus elevates his disciples from servants to friends. So I is relevant to what we're talking about. So let's pick up in verse 12. So now he's gathered together there with his disciples in the upper room. And by the way, this is the vine and the branch chapter as well. You know, the fruitful chapter. You know, where we're instructed uh, uh, as uh, we be in the, the, the branch, the church, stuck into the vine, who is Jesus the source of all nourishment and strength and provision and all of that. It's just a, a very uh, a picturesque, uh, allegorical uh, chapter of the Bible. He goes on then in verse 12 of chapter 15. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. We're going to come back to verse 14 in a moment. And then he goes on to declare, this is the conclusion, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my father I have made known unto you. Now, consider this. We have all of the same elements recorded here for us in John 15, as we do in the book of Genesis in chapter 18. Mark them. We have companionship, we have communication, and we have compassion. In fact, maybe here in John 15, it's even greater than was Abraham's experience. You say, how's that? Well, think about this, as it relates to companionship. How long was it that Jesus hung around with his disciples before his crucifixion? His earthly ministry lasted for how long? Three and a half years, right? Three and a half years. I mean, they were with him day and night for three and a half years. Okay, so let's mark that off. We could check that box off. Companionship. How about communication? Think about that. How about communication? Well, notice what it says there in verse uh, uh, 15 of John 15. He says, everything that I learned from my father, I have made known unto you. Now, Abraham couldn't make that same claim. That's for sure. Abraham never uh, was present when Jesus delivered his great manifesto, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5. He wasn't present when Jesus delivered that. 
So communication, okay, I guess you can check that off the list as well. And then how about compassion? Well, think about this. Jesus died for their sins, right? So I think that their experience may have even been greater than that of Abraham's. But nevertheless, all of the same elements were present. Now let me ask you this, gang. Do you know him as the one who demonstrated his love and friendship for you? You can. You can find him to be your friend. You say, how's that? Well, you need only to come to him, confessing your sin, and acknowledging your need of him to be your savior. Now, one last thing, and then we'll close out our message. Let's go back to John 15 one more time in verse 14. You still have your markers there, right? John 15 and 14, verse 14. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. So what's the point? Well, we show our friendship how? Through, someone help me out, obedience. That brings us to our final exercise and component of how to become a friend of God, and that is, and if you're taking notes, write that down, obedience. Obedience. And let's go back to John 15 and verse 14. Let's read it again. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known unto you. Now, I don't know why I've just read verse 15. I wanted to read verse 14. He said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, let's break that verse down for you, okay? If this is the final component, the last occupation that lends itself to be our becoming a friend of God, we need to break this down. The first thing that I want to draw your attention to as it relates to this obedience that's being recommended to us here is that it's active. It's active. He says, notice, you are my friends if you do. If you do. It's not enough to know what you're supposed to do, but you got to move on it. You have to act on it. You know, i got to tell you something. We, we, Central Park is full of crazy people, man. And uh, we discovered that, or rediscovered it. How many times have we done outreaches in Central Park? But we, you know, besides drawing people that God wanted to draw to us, to have those uh, conversations with and pray for, and it was wonderful, we had our share of crazies that also uh, came across our path. And we were dealing with all kinds of things, going through that whole thing that, you know, Christianity isn't true because there isn't such a thing as a true Christian. And we come up against that all of the time. You know, Christianity isn't true. No one can obey the commandments of God. Those Christians are nothing more than a bunch of hypocrites. And you know what? For at least some part, it's true. There are many people who have taken the name of Christ who are nothing more than hypocrites, who are just role-playing. True, it is, you know? And uh, you really don't know what's going on when they're not amongst the rest of the fellowship or the, or the church. When they're all alone, we can't see them. Only God can see them. But this is a, this is a major problem with, with some uh, uh, unbelievers as it relates to Christianity. True obedience, folks, is obedience in action. It's not talking the talk, but it's rather walking the walk. And listen, you know, the wonderful thing about this is that we're not left to ourselves to walk the walk. God has given us his Holy Spirit 
to enable us to become the kinds of people that God wants us to be. That's the difference between Christianity and every other so-called religion that's really no religion at all, you know? It tells you what the divine ideal is, but then it doesn't leave you to yourself to work it out. God gives to us the Holy Spirit, the dynamic, the ability, the capacity to be able to do what he asks of us to do. But anyway, this obedience that's being recommended to us here, if you want to be a friend of God, is active. You are my friends if you do. So it's obedience in action. It's not talking the talk, it's walking the walk. But then also, if you consider this word uh, in obedience here in the Greek, now remember we're dissecting John 15 here in verse 14, uh, in the tense that's being used here as a verb, it's in the continuous tense. Obeying, continually, continuous sense in the Greek language. So it should rather be translated, if you are doing. In other words, it's indicating continuous action, day after day after day. Not just on Sundays, but rather living the life of obedience 24-7. And then lastly, this word obedience includes all things. Because notice what Jesus said. He put this spin on it. He says, if you do whatever I command. Okay, so what does that mean? To be Christ's friend, right? It means coming to him in love, to do whatever he asks us to do, not picking and choosing what we like or what we want or what is convenient for us. There are just some Christians that's, you know, the game they play. When it's convenient for them, you know, they serve the Lord. When it's convenient for them, they give. When it's convenient for themselves, uh, they serve. But really what it suggests here is coming to him in humility of mind and body, completely and absolutely surrendered. We're always open. Lord, what will you have me to do? By the way, that's a great way to start off each and every day. Listen, gang, as we close out our message, it's only when we ask this question and mean it, that is, Lord, what will you have me to do today? It's only when we ask this question and mean it that we'll find ourselves being lifted up to do the great errands of our heavenly king. And don't you want to be put on an errand by our heavenly king? Are you Christ's friends? God grant that you might be to your great joy and his glory. That's the question that you have to ask yourself. Are you truly, unequivocally, you know in your heart that you are a friend of God. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. 
And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house.